Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> you know, I just want to say, we're here for the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful. It speaks to me. Hopefully it speaks to you. You know, it's not like uh, when we come to church on Sunday, it's not like work where you do the same thing every day sometimes. We, we want to just throw the routineness away, come to the Word of God with expectation that God's going to speak to each and every one of us. God speaks to me. God will speak to you. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. And with that expectation, God is able to use that heart with a heart like that. And so hopefully as we look at the Word, we can walk away with something. I'm going to share some things that maybe it's not directed right towards you, but maybe it's something that you can learn to direct it to someone else. So every time we look at the Word of God, it's either for us personally, maybe we want to teach someone else, maybe we want to encourage someone else. And so just kind of have that perspective as we look at God's Word. This morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. We're not going to be looking at 2 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1. And... Um, What was I going to say? Um, when we come to the Word of God, I don't know why I drew a blank. You know, many of us here, we go through life and we have ups and downs. And, uh, you know, sometimes there's great moments of joy and peace in our life. And other times, there's times where there's difficulty. But during those hard times, um, sometimes we just want to share with someone, you know, what we're going through. And we want a word of encouragement. <clears throat> and I remember one time here at this church, somebody came up to me and I mean, they were they were really struggling and I could see they wanted a word of encouragement. And I told them, I said, you know, you should really talk to John because <laughs> I'm not that person that's, <laughs> you know, give you that encouragement. Not that I can't ever be encouraging, but I just say that because as we look at Second Timothy, Timothy needs encouragement. And he's really struggling with some things in his life. And he's going up against some pretty strong-willed people. And Paul writes this letter with that in mind. And he wants to encourage Timothy. And so hopefully we can look at the encouragements that Paul gives Timothy and apply them to our lives. Timothy was like feeling defeated. He was fearful. He was questioning his abilities and, and his purpose. It doesn't clearly say that, but you can read it. As we go along, we'll see that, how he had to be filling those things for Paul to address him the way Paul did address him. And uh, that's the state of mind that Timothy was in. So when Paul writes this letter, he's writing it to encourage Timothy to continue in the ministry that God has put before him. Paul had asked Timothy to stay in Ephesus and to go up against these false teachers. And um, so Paul's writing this letter with, with that in his mind. And Paul's in prison himself. And this time, this is in his second imprisonment. And for, unlike the first time, he was able to have a little freedom. He had many visitors and things like that. This time, he does not have that freedom. He's in a cell and he's chained. And some of the uh, brothers or saints that were with him had deserted even Paul because of the great persecutions that were going on. It was during the time of Nero the emperor of Rome, and, uh, and there's many things happening at that time and much persecution. So keep these kinds of things uh, in your mind as we go through the letter because it's important to understand context as we read each verse. So we can see just with that, 
there's an urgency in Paul's heart. See, Paul was also waiting for his death sentence. And he knew that this was probably the last time <clears throat> that he was going to have a time, a chance to write to Timothy or possibly even see Timothy before he died. And so that's the background for Paul. And so I want us to remind it again that the Word of God is powerful and there's a purpose for every one of us. There's a purpose for every one of us to be here. There's a purpose that, that God has pulled us together like this to look at this scripture to see what it has for us. And so with that in mind, let's just go to the Word, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your truth. It's just a blessing to be your child, a blessing to be used by you for your glory. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open. I pray that we can be sensitive to your leading. I pray that we can be able to examine our life objectively, Father, to see, see it through your eyes and see it through other people's eyes. I pray that uh, we would not just walk away here with an intellectual understanding of what your word says, but the ability, Father, to apply it to our life and make change that we may glorify you and uh, just benefit others. And so we come to you at this time, Father, and ask you to lead us, Father, as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 2 Timothy, I'm not even there, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'll read it. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that, when, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind, our sound discipline. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which are given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And we'll just stop right there. Now in verse 3, Paul starts out by saying, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. Now remember, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. So the question I asked, Myself, why does Timothy need to hear that? Why does Timothy need to hear, I thank God whom I serve? Let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. That tells us that possibly, why is Paul telling Timothy, do not be ashamed? Do not be ashamed. He's probably ashamed. He's probably pulled back. Okay? And, 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 and Paul wants to encourage him. So keep that in mind. See, we need to make this personal. See, that gives us an idea of the kind of pressure, too, that Timothy's going through. For Timothy, who is a spokesperson for God, as well as Paul, 
And he's feeling pressured to the point where he's ashamed. See, not only were these false teachers attacking the faith and attacking the gospel or attacking the ministry, however you want to word it, they were attacking Paul and Timothy and the Lord Jesus Christ to discredit them. They were probably saying things like this, where's your Paul? Where's Paul? If he's so much in, right, in the right line with God, where's he at? Where's your Lord? Where's Paul's Lord? Those would seem th things I think that they would probably say. Since Paul is so vocal, and Paul is, is the one in charge, the one directing them and guiding them and teaching them. See, and Paul understands that. As he starts, and he starts by addressing this issue. See, what does he say? Where is Paul? Paul's in prison. Who does Paul live for? Paul lives for God. And what does he say? He says, I thank God whom I serve. I thank God whom I serve in prison with a clear conscience. See, they can say what they want. But I'm not here because of something I've done. I'm here because I'm serving God here. And Timothy needs to hear that. See, Timothy doesn't need to have a question in his mind why Paul's in prison. See, that's not the focus. And Paul quickly directs his attention to what's important. And that's God. And, God, and Paul is going to do that through this whole passage. Because, see, when troubles come our way, it's easy to look this way and take our eyes where they, off where they should be. Verse 3, I'm going to read it again. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, without ceasing, remembering you in my prayers night and day. You know, when somebody tells me that they're going to pray for me, that's encouraging. Not, I'm leaving, oh, we'll pray for you. No. When somebody knows the things that are going on in my life, and, and, and they know me personally, and they say, you know what, David? We'll pray for you, or I'll keep you in prayer. You know what? That encourages me, because I know that God listens to our prayers. And see, I know that God will take care of all things surrounding my life. And that's what Timothy needs to hear. That's another word of encouragement from Paul, saying that I will not cease to pray for you. He goes on to say, Verse 5, or he goes on to say, verse 4, Greatly desiring to see you, be mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Now Paul makes a statement here and he says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Or some of your Bibles may say sincere or unfeigned. Well, what did he mean? Why did he say, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you? Paul could have just said, as I call to remembrance the faith that is in you. That would have worked. That would have worked fine. But Paul makes a point to emphasize, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. The sincere faith that is in you. Now, at first reading, 
it would be easy just to come to the conclusion that Paul is telling Timothy, you know, I call to remembrance you, and you're a true believer. Your faith is, is real. Or someone who's just putting their faith in Christ. See, but here's the thing. I don't believe Paul, the conclusion may be that, but here's the, here's the important point in this. The way Paul got from point A to point B, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. I believe theologically it's different than the way we came up with the same conclusion. Why is this important? It's very important. Because we want the scriptures to encourage us. And they're going to encourage us when we understand how they're meant to be applied, how they're meant to be understood. See, most of us, when we use the word faith today, we use it in a very limited context, like putting your faith in God, having faith in a trial or a situation in our life. And because of that, it can kind of limit our understanding of how it's used. Most of us wouldn't write a letter here. I, probably none of us would write a letter to someone and say, I call to remember the genuine faith that is in you. We wouldn't say that. We just wouldn't. But see, Paul uses the word faith in these two letters in many different ways. And in many different contexts. And so, I want us to look at a few. You don't have to go there if you want. We're only going to look at, start with 1 Timothy and just work our way back to where we are. But if you want to follow along, you can. And the reason I want us to look at these Two reasons. One, just to show you that Paul uses the word faith in many different ways. And two, we can see what's going on. It just intensifies and helps us to, to understand and kind of be live it out in ourselves to see what Paul's dealing with and what they're doing. Let's start on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Timothy, my beloved son in the faith. So he uses it there to include Timothy within the body of Christ. My beloved son in the faith. Look at verse 5. He says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Look at verse 19. He says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. And right above that, he says, fight the good warfare. Chapter 4, verse 19. There is no 19. Uh, okay. Verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. And what are they going to do? Giving heed to de deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Chapter 6, verse 12. There better be a chapter 6. I'm really in trouble. It says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay a hold on to eternal life to which you were also called and confessed. And the last one, back to 2 Timothy. 
verse 4. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 7. These are kind of like Paul's last words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Why is that important? Why is that important for us to read those? Because see, these are the different ways Paul uses the word faith. And these are the things that are going through Paul's mind as he's writing this letter. See, that's the context. And it's very important for us to try to understand it with that in mind, with Paul's thinking. See, so Paul knows that Timothy needs to be encouraged. Paul knows his life's coming to an end. So when he writes this, look at verse 5. Chapter 1. He says this, As I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. See, Paul's saying, I call to remembrance. He's saying this in contrast to those who have strayed from the faith. In contrast to those who fought against the faith. In contrast to those who are working against us. See, Paul's not talking about a confession. Paul's not talking about an acknowledgement. Paul's not talking about an intellectual understanding of who God is. Paul is talking about a way of life. See, if Paul's going to encourage Timothy with a confession, why would he remind him of a confession if there's no evidence of God working in his life? Some of us may, in the Bible, you may have a footnote for the word confession, and it'll say, literally, you can interpret it unhypocritical. See, when Paul thinks of Timothy, he doesn't think of somebody who's playing the part or acting as a Christian. When Paul thinks of Timothy, he thinks of someone with genuine faith, who's living it out in their life. See, now that would encourage Timothy. As Paul reminds him how God works in his life, that's encouraging. Just to be reminded of a confession we've made five years ago, one year ago, that's not going to be much encouragement. So I thought it'd be important to just to touch on this just a little bit more and ask that question for ourselves. Is our faith Genuine. You know, I've been in many churches. That's not a good thing. <laughs> I've been in many churches where the, where the pastor has an altar call. And you guys may not have altar calls. I don't know. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. That's not the point. The point is, the pastor will preach a message and they'll have an altar call. You know, if God is moving in your heart, maybe you want to come forward. Come, come. Maybe God wants you to make a decision for Christ. Come, come. Play another stanza. Come. I'm not joking. This is, this is real life situations. Come, come, you know. I had a friend one time, maybe some of you know him, Ruben Morales. Before, before, is his name Ruben Morales? Before he was uh, saved. He came forward at this church. And everybody started congratulating him. Hey, you know, you're, you're welcome to the family and all this stuff. And he said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you went forward. He goes, well, the pastor told me to. <laughs> but, you know, he really wasn't, wasn't for God. But anyway, they, they, they encouraged the people to come forward. And then 
they, if they acknowledge they want to make a decision for Christ, they say a prayer with them, tell them, welcome to the family of God. They are now part of the family of God. Announce it to the congregation. The congregation claps, hugs, kisses. They're off. And sometimes you never see them again. Maybe for a month, maybe two months, maybe never again. And so I asked the pastor, well, you know, what about these people that aren't here anymore? You know, and, and we got into this deep, he's very deep and theological because he has all the answers. And basically, long story short, he explained to me that they're a Christian, but they're not a disciple. I said, oh, really? Okay. The point is this. We need to understand many things. Just because someone responds to an altar call, that doesn't mean they have genuine faith. There needs to be evidence. There needs to be evidence of, the, of that faith. We don't know if they're going to be saved. We don't know if it was a true confession. When we see evidence, we can assume it's true. And we need to understand, you know, pastors, altar calls don't save people. How many times have you heard, just yourself, someone who say they're a Christian, but yet there's no evidence in their life whatsoever, but they cling on to that confession? Where does that teaching come from? That's false teaching. It's all around us. You can get on the internet and find a hundred different websites that support that type of teaching. See. People are saved by the grace of God. And we all need to understand that. It's only by a divine transformation. When someone understands their sinfulness towards God and their need for a Savior and they put their faith in Jesus Christ and yield to His Lordship, only then does God pour His grace upon them. There's no shortcuts. It's important for us to understand that. It's not just because someone verbally says they're a believer, that doesn't make them a Christian. In James chapter 2, he answers the same question. About somebody who says they have faith. In verse 18, he says this. This is exactly what we're talking about. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? We don't need to be a scholar to understand that. We don't need to be an intense student to understand that. That's pretty clear. You know, many of the many of the teachers today have really tried to confuse the scriptures. Say so you need to know Greek. You need to know Hebrew. Well, why do we carry this around then if we can't understand it? Don't fall for those deceptive lies. I'm not saying that it's not helpful to know the Greek. It probably would be very helpful. But just because you don't know any of that doesn't mean that you cannot understand the Word of God. 
And my point here is not for us to walk away questioning our salvation. It's important for us to understand the scriptures so we can encourage others. See, so we need to understand what Paul is saying here. And we can see that it's evidence of our faith and the way we live our life. Another way Paul encourages Timothy, he, look at verse 6. In verse 6 of the same chapter, he says this. He says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now notice Paul doesn't tell him, you can do it, Timothy. I have faith in you. You've got to believe in yourself, Timothy. I know they're wrong. You need to stand up for your rights. Now some of us could be thinking, you know, that sounds ridiculous. And it does, coming from Paul. But how many of us have heard those types of encouragements? Or those words of encouragement? See, it's easy to try and work out the problem and then pray about it and ask God for advice. See, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says, stir up the gift that is in you. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. See, Paul knows what Timothy needs to do. Timothy needs to make a choice. He can choose to stay in the condition that he's in, feeling defeated, questioning his abilities, or he can choose to depend on the gift that God has given him. See, those same words of encouragement for Timothy apply to you and I. If we want to be effective in our Christian life, in our Christian walk, if we want to glorify God with our lives, if we want to be a dynamic church, we need to use the gifts that God has given us. See, God has gifted every one of us. There shouldn't be a question in your mind whether or not God has given you a gift. In Romans chapter 12, it says this, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of, he, of himself than he ought to, for God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but not all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having them gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. See, it's important for us to understand that, that we're all gifted. If we were a genuine believer, a true child of God, God has given us a spiritual gift. We need to know our gift and use it in the way God intended it to be used. <clears throat> But for some reason, <clears throat> Timothy failed to use his gift to its maximum potential.
In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, it says this. Chapter 4, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy from the laying on of my hands. See, this was not the first time that Timothy had to be reminded about his spiritual gift. See, this tells us that the whole time, Timothy has the resources within him, within Christ, to fulfill his ministry. But he needed to make a choice. See, Paul doesn't sympathize with his emotional state. Paul wants Timothy to know that the feelings and the thoughts that he's thinking do not come from God. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and sound mind. Timothy, those feelings of fear, they do not come from God. That's what he's telling them. See, Paul wants to take Timothy's focus off his physical condition and get him to focus on his divine resources in Christ. Paul tells Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is in you. That's the question that I think we should raise this morning. Are we using the gifts that God has given us? See, if Timothy fails to use his gift, it affects his ministry, it affects his relationship with God, it affects his relationship with Paul, it affects the purpose of the church at Ephesus, and the list goes on and on. It's important for us to understand the consequences of us not using our gifts. John MacArthur writes this, When the church ministers its gifts in the way they should, there's important blessings it receives. He says, The believer receives great blessing themselves, both from ex exercising their own gift, as well as exer the exercising of others' gifts for their benefit. You know, we can bless each other when we exercise our gift. He, second, he writes, when everyone does his part in the ministry, it forms a dynamic church with power and effectiveness it could no, not otherwise have. See, the power comes from God through our gifts. When the church, third, when the church ministers its gifts, it creates an environment that allows its leaders to effectively lead a submissive church, a church in unity. And last, when the church is faithful using its spiritual gifts, it experiences the power of joy, unity, love, and fellowship that cannot be produced by human ability. These are the benefits that we receive when the church is under the control of God. Well, someone might be thinking, well, how do I know my gift? Or how do I exercise my gift? Or how do I stir up my gift? And, and I'm sure most of you are probably already doing that. And that's great. But there may be a few of us that are not. Now, this isn't a deep theological study on how to use your gift. It's a basic 
elementary two things that I'm going to that's personal David's going to share with you humility and availability that's it humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up quit thinking that we know everything quit thinking that I have all the answers and come to church Come to church. Come to church early. You know, if you come to church early, I guarantee you somebody will find something for you to do. Come to Bible study. You know what? If you come to Bible study, you'll build relationships and, and something will draw in your heart and you'll want to do something for somebody or somebody will bless you. That way you don't hinder their gift. It's, very, it, it's just very simple. We make it complicated. And it's just not in our church. Commit your work. Commit your homeowners association. Could be anywhere. Where does God have you? I mean, where make yourself available and God will use you. You know, another thing to add to that, when God starts using your gift, and you start using your gift, you're gonna have a peace. There's gonna be joy that you get from that. If there's disunity in whatever you're doing, you know what, that's not from God. Back off. Maybe you're, maybe you're interfering with somebody else's spot. Because you know what? If they're in the spirit, they're going to back off. And guess what? It hinders the ministry. That's what can happen a lot of times. I've seen it done many times. People who are in positions, but yet because the people are spiritual, the leaders, they just gently wait patiently until this person comes to their senses to get out of the way and allow God to work in that ministry. There's another way that Paul encourages Timothy. He reminds Timothy, and that's kind of what we touched on, to be controlled by the Spirit. Look at verse 7. He says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. Timothy, that fear you're experiencing doesn't come from God. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. See, Paul doesn't beat around the bush. Paul's pretty clear, pretty direct. And that's what Timothy needs to hear. And sometimes we need to follow Paul's example. You know, there's... There's a, um, I think most of you know, I work for Oral Wheat Bread Company and I drive for them. Every stop, we want to preach the gospel. And so when people see me, they know I'm going to preach the gospel. And so there's this one guy who claims to be a believer. Doesn't go to church. Says he believes in God. I have a hard time with that. <laughs> I really struggle with that. And uh, I share with them. And sometimes he'll share information. It's very, it's a, you know, it's a 10-minute, five-minute conversation. And we just pass each other, we leave, and every Tuesday we look forward to that little conversation. And he shares with me how he's met this girl in a nightclub and things like that, but he believes in God. Okay, so anyway, he goes, you know, I need to hear it. Because I, you know, I start out gentle, but for me that's probably firm. But I started out gentle. And I uh, said, you know, you, you really should get involved in a church. I mean, that's pretty basic. And 
see him again. So, did you go to church? No, I didn't go. I said, man, you, you know, you really need to go to church. See him a couple other times. Talk to him. And finally, you know, it starts getting to be a joke. You know, and he starts, you know, when he sees me smile, hey, Dave, you know, what's the good word? And, you know, and all that. And, and you know, I don't say anything. Because he doesn't want to hear. And so I'll do one of these. I'll, we'll talk, and I won't mention anything. And I'll walk away, and then I'll say, uh, you know, Columbus says, oh, wait, one thing, one thing. And I'll say, you know what, in all seriousness, and I'm not joking, you need to repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because time's running out. I'll see you later, and then I'll leave. And he knows I'm dead serious. So there is a time to be direct. And that's what Paul's doing here. Now, remember, this isn't the first time that Paul reminded Timothy. Remember, he reminded him in the first letter, too, that he needed to use his gift and he needed to be controlled by God. See, it's easy for any of us to flip-flop out of the control of God. If you have kids, you're married, you know that. It just doesn't happen like we want it to happen. We can't walk around thinking we're spiritual giants. We're not. We need to look at ourselves for who we are in Christ. And the more we understand who we are in Christ, the more, the more we understand when God tells us that we're all sinners, we're not all sinners to beat ourselves down into the ground. We're all sinners so we can have an attitude of our weakness and, our, and our, out of Christ. See, but once we understand our strength, once we understand our lack of strength, Got to put them together. God's able to use our life and move us and direct us in the way He wants to. And He can control that. But we're not spiritual giants. We need to understand that. And so, when things look difficult in our life, see, it's easy. Our things look impossible. It's easy to look at it from a human perspective and take it into our own hands and try to fix them. See, when that happens, we're driven by our emotion and not by principle. And then the, the decisions that we make are not driven by God. It's called living by the flesh. So the Bible says we're living by the flesh. And we forget about the divine resources we have in Christ. Because once we start making worldly, fleshly decisions, it kind of builds. You know, whether it's finances, anything. You know, you, you see people who make bad decisions concerning finances. You know what? It's going to be a long time before they get out. That's just one example of many. All of us are God's children. And we should not be living a defeated life. I'm not saying that things aren't going to happen in our life, but we shouldn't be living a defeated life. See, if we're living down all the time and frustrated and whining, that's a sign that we're not in the control of God. Now, it's not every case and every context, but in the context of this section of Scripture that we're looking at, Timothy needs to be in the will of God. Okay, He's in his situation because of Timothy and the opposition that went against them. See, it's easy for all of us to look at this and agree with the principles of God and read them and study them. 
but are, and, and understand them intellectually. But are we able to take that next step? We able to take that next step and apply them to our life. And so that there's evidence that God is in control of our life. See, the verse we read, it gives us a description of some of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, but that's not all of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control, submissiveness. These are fruits of the Spirit. See, these are the things that we need to have in our heart if we're going to apply the same principles that Paul's trying to teach Timothy. See, we need to be patient when God is trying to guide us. We need to have self-control so we don't get distracted from things that can take us away from what God has put before us. We need to be humble, willing to yield as God leads us. That's what Paul's trying to teach Timothy. Those feelings... The emotional state you're in does not come from God. Timothy needs to depend on God. Timothy needs to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Every one of us here, as I said before, has a spiritual gift. God has not given us a spirit of fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of selfishness or a spirit of laziness. God has given us a spirit of power, love, self-discipline, according to this passage. See, self-discipline, the ability to make the right choices. Love, the ability to sacrifice our life for others. Power, the strength to endure the ministry that God has put before us. That's what Paul's communicating to Timothy. One last thing and then we'll close. You know, as I read this, <clears throat> this one last thing in here really just touched my heart. Where I live, it's hard to explain Stockton. I don't know if you've ever seen the program Cops. That's Stockton. Okay? And, I mean, we live in a, in a you know, fair, I think a few of you have been there. Bob's been there, I think. Mario and uh, John. We live in a, a cul-de-sac. I mean, it's a nice little cul-de-sac. And on this cul-de-sac are nice people, except for one family. And there's one family, you know, this is just a thing, a personal, I'm sharing a personal, fleshly thing that I deal with. They get on my nerves. They have cars there all the time. They have five girls and one boy, and the girls are teenagers. And when, for some reason, there's five boys all the time. I don't know why. <laughs> and there's cars with these boys. And we just like to have the court. We put our little cones out so the kids can ride their bikes. You know, just a little peaceful. But they're not on the same page as us. They park all over the place. They throw trash everywhere. They don't dress properly. They have loud music. And it bugs me. And so my mind is fixed on we're moving. You know, we're moving. And, I, and then, I, well, I'll go there. Anyway, that's one. Another one is there's crime everywhere. 
and it's bad. And in order for us to get, like, if we go to the right or west, we go about eight blocks, and then you run into this neighborhood that has, like, um, maybe a half a mile of duplexes. And outside, there's people hanging out all over the place, and there's trash, and they look like gangs. Kids running all over the place, they're not clean, and it's just a mess. So we don't want to go that way. So we'll go this way. Well, this way, they have a place where there's about four blocks, and it's the main thoroughfare, and they put the uh, triplexes and fourplexes there. And there's guys hanging out all over the place, and matter of fact, they just had a murder not too long ago right there. And this is like, it's far, but two blocks from our house, but it's... It, you can't get there directly. You'd have to go this way and this way and this way. Why am I telling you all this? There's a reason. Oh, I left one out. As I was preparing for this, I'm sitting in the bedroom on the computer, and all of a sudden I hear this, bump, and everybody's gone, right? I'm thinking, what is that? And we have a huge guard dog, right? About this big. And he starts running outside, running through the backyard, barking. You know, his little bark. I'm thinking, what, what's going on? So I go look, and there's, we live on a court. And there's six cop cars facing my house and my neighbors. I'm thinking, whoa, what is going on? And so, it's smart me. I did not go outside. Look out the window. Look on the side. I'm trying to find what is going on. Well, apparently some guy was on parole, and they thought he had a gun. And he ran over one of my neighbor's house, ran in front of her house, hid by her window and her front door, ran out of there, ran in between my house and her house, busted through the fence. The cops tackled him, brought him back out, and arrested him, and took him away. I'm thinking, confirmation, we got to move. And then I read this scripture. And it's just amazing. Because I never looked at it like this before. It says this, verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. And I thought, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Where was Paul? In prison. And he said, I thank God whom I serve. Well, where's David? On Battleview Court. But David wasn't being very thankful. And it hit me. This is where God has you serving. Quit complaining. See, we need to be willing to suffer. Whoever said living the Christian life was going to be easy? We need to be willing to suffer. Why don't people get involved? You know what? When, when, Steve and, when I talk to Steve on the phone and he says, Dave, I want to know if you can teach on this day. You know what goes through our mind? Immediately my wife starts thinking, okay, what do we have planned? Because guess what? There's going to be a sacrifice. You know, she starts making plans. Okay, we can take the kids out this day. We can take the kids out this day so she can leave me home by myself to study the Word of God. We need to be willing to suffer. That's the mentality we need to have. It's not going to be easy. 
We're going to run up against things that are, don't feel good and make us feel uncomfortable. Paul, ready to, to die. Concerned about the gospel. And his last words, share with me. Suffer with me, Timothy, for the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we, we know you love and care about every one of us. And Father, I know that there are many here who are actively serving and using their gifts. And Lord, we, we just praise you for that. We thank you for them. I just pray that they would continue to do that, continue to allow you to use them in many different ways. But maybe there's some of us here that are kind of watching from the sidelines. God, I pray that they would rise up. I pray that if any of us here are, are, are not using our gifts, that we'd understand we need to make a choice. Lord, help them to make that choice. Help us to be the dynamic church you want us to be. Help us to be controlled by your spirit, led by you. And Lord, we give you all the praise and glory for what you've done and what you're going to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus.